Good morning. My name's Bill, lead pastor here at Bethel Christian Church. And uh, this Sunday, we are going to be looking at, um, at Christmas. Now, we'll, we'll get there in just a second. Here we go. Now, I know what you're thinking. I'm thinking, Bill, this is the Christmas message. It's a typical Christmas message, just like we hear every year. We're going to talk about Jesus, going to talk about presents, going to talk about meaning in life and mistletoe and da 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 da, da all that. So bear with me, okay? Just humor me. Let's just see where this is going, okay? And, and let me tell you, it's going to be an Iron Maiden Christmas. So now, now. Every year this happens. It's on the calendar. 365 days, give or take. Um, it, it happens again. It's Christmas. But it, it just seems like, once again, it's just upon us. And how is that possible when I think now they call Thanksgiving Black Thursday? I mean, it's just we, we, Christmas is expanding exponentially. There, there's decorate immediately after Halloween decorations. There's Christmas. I mean, right through Thanksgiving. So there's all these reminders. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. Sure, it's economically driven. I'm a little skeptical, a little cynical, but there's lots of reminders. But yet here we are again. It's Christmas. Got to do this. Got to do that. These people are coming in. Uh, how, how are we? Do we have all the lists done? What are we going to do? All of this. And, and if anyone were to take anyone's particular Christmas experience, and just looked at how do we celebrate, how do we symbolize, what do we do, you'd probably have no idea what was going on. If aliens came to our planet to study, you know, what's, what's big this time of year? They'd be like with many tentacles scratching their many heads or I don't know, however they are. Because we just don't have a clear read of what's going on. So much of tradition has been overlaid and every culture does it differently. There was a national referendum in, in Catalan, Catalonia, it's a, um, an area of Spain. And in their nativities, since way back, they've had the Kaganer, which is this guy, I don't know how to say this nicely, defecating in the manger. So you have Mary and Joseph and Jesus and the angels, and there's always this little dude going, <laughs> what's up with that? The holy nativity, and you got the cogner. And, and people saying, this is ridiculous. Why do we have this? And everybody to a person said, absolutely, this is part of Christmas. Because it's our humanity with divinity. And what could be more human than, you know, and what could be more divine? And so that's the, this culture's way of saying this is how it came together. But if you're just looking at that, you're going, What? And if you take any tradition, we, we, we could do the same thing. There's countries that have the Christmas log that you have to beat and it vomits up presents. There, there's um, some of you are going to be seeing the baby Jesus at midnight. Others, it's a, you know, rotund jolly guy. Um, whatever the tradition is, really not a whole lot to do with the reality. And I often think, God, where I hurt, where I am empty, where, where I am feeling it. And, and this time of year as well, it intensifies... How has the last year been? How is life? Where are we? You, you get cards and, and letters from people you haven't heard from in a year or, or perhaps 10. And, and this, is how, this is how we've been. This is what life has done. And we begin to compare. Am I, the election question, better off this year than I was last year? What is it all about? This really is what's most important. This is really what I'm living for. These are the questions I'm really asking. This is where I'm struggling where nobody else knows. That's where we live. That's what's real. And so, really, how does, how does Christmas fit into that? Is, is, it just a, is it a memorial? Is it just, we're going to take some time, we're going to focus on family, God loved us so much, isn't this wonderful? Or is there something else, something deeper, something more? A rescue was planned from when it all went wrong. See, most, most Christmas messages, they, they'll begin in, in one of the Gospels, one of the stories about Jesus. Sometimes people think, oh, we've preached the Gospels a lot. Let's, let's go for a, one of the prophets, Isaiah, foretelling a beautiful book about Jesus. But actually, why we need at Christmas, why God wanted to come closer than, than we could ever imagine him coming, that, that began much, much earlier, and it makes sense of all of our stories. Okay? We're going to go back to the first book of the Bible, to Genesis. Tells us about who we are. Tells us about who we are on the inside, who we are on the outside. Tells us about who we were truly meant to be. How does life work? How does it feel good? How does it not? 
And what's happened that life is so disjointed and messed up? What happened that although we have this beautiful Christmas specials and it's a wonderful life and all this, this kind of two-dimensional rendering of happy time, where, where most of us live, it's either heightened pain or, or it's a mixture of good and bad. It's an uncompleted journey at best. And, and we're asking the same questions perhaps a little more earnestly each and every year. Our rescue was planned from when it all went wrong. Now, most modern stories that, that, that we, we read and we get into, uh, you, you sort of develop uh, um, an understanding of the protagonist or the antagonist. Why is this person the way they are? We can understand the, their faults and their failings. And, and it's kind of we, we can see a real person in this. Well, the first story of, of our humanity, uh, we have Adam, we have Eve, but there's no real ultimate personal details. It's told generally. And in fact, there's this, this, this character of the, of the snake. There, there's an evil present Satan behind it. But, but they're also generic and general enough. It's so that we can all find our story in their story. In other words, the big question that we ask is, why does it hurt? Why is it hard? What went wrong? And so the very beginning of the book that deals with who we are, who God is, and, and how this fits together, deals with why it went wrong, how it went wrong. And as I said before, Genesis 1 and 2, that's creation. That gives us the big picture. Genesis 3, that's where we went our own way and messed it up. And the whole rest of the book, Genesis 4 to Revelation 22, the whole, that's our redemption. That's God coming near to us disabusing us of all the false gods that we really should reject. There might be some of you right now asking these questions or, or, or wondering, you know, I've got it all figured out. This is surely just a cultural expression. These are good, well-meaning people, and they're, they're clinging to hope. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And we all have our ideas. Everybody here does. But, but what Christmas provides us is an opportunity to say what is real, what is satisfying, what is true. And an opportunity to discard all the false notions that we have of dead religion or trying to us to get better or, or closer to God or, or anything. And we see the Christmas story is, is so far beyond anything that we could do. In my lostness, it gives me courage and it gives me hope. It says, uh, and I just set up the story. I, I, I sure most of you are probably familiar with sort of the origins. Um, with all genealogies, the book of Matthew begins with this huge genealogy. It's like, hey, read this book. And so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so. Not, not a way to begin a bestseller or, or the story of the Lord of glory. But it's saying this is a real person who really happened. And it goes all the way back to the, 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 the progenitor of our race. Adam means dust, means dirt, means earth common came from earth and turning away from god returns to earth and that's sort of the the bookends of the story of our creation now it says that the snake was more crafty than any other animal now i have no idea what this means i i i really can't really imagine it but it's a sense of there was a, a an immediate presence that they recognized there's something weird going on snakes don't talk what's up with this and, and there's a larger story that's being worked out and it says the woman saw that this Fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, was desirable and desirable for wisdom. The word crafty, the word wisdom, it's the same thing. And so it's saying this, this God-given ability of let's fill out who we are and, and connect rightly to the world. One of the characters was bending it ever so slightly. One of them was saying, well, here's a natural desire. What's wrong with it? The problem is they did it on their terms outside of God. It wasn't open rebellion, but I think it's where all of us go. We all want to take God's place. Okay, I tell people, well, you know, when they start complaining, I say, look, I'm in sales, not in management. Okay, I'm a preacher, right? Um, <laughs> it's another department. I can forward you, but uh, uh, it wasn't open rebellion. It was a desire to take God's place. I can judge what's right and wrong for me. You see, God created us for relationship. It's satisfying. It's real. And it was this innocent, childlike trust, just like with our children. It was trust. You don't have to understand how electricity works. Don't stick your finger in the, in the socket. Okay, pretty simple stuff. Childlike trust. What I say is good. You can trust me. Now, we've learned the hard way who we can trust, who we can't. 
how much of us we can really show to others and how much we can't for fear of being rejected. And we've worked out a compressed life. But how it was originally created was this freedom to be absolutely who you were. There was acceptance. There was intimacy. There was all of this. And there was just one stipulation. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, full knowledge of everything. Don't eat that. Not now. Okay, God was growing them in faith, growing them in responsibility to be able to handle the fullness of life and deepening love. It doesn't make us for a few score years. It makes us for eternity. Okay, and that's what's going on. When we decided to go our own way, I don't need somebody else to tell me what's right and wrong. I can decide for myself what is right and what is wrong. I'm a law unto myself, captain of my own destiny. We took upon ourselves a burden we could never, ever ever handle immediately what happened there was this awareness and the people realized adam and eve they were never ever made to handle this knowledge of god let the big guy do the heavy lifting and so it was just this panic it was a scrambling it was a world they were never created to handle what do i do with this knowledge how do i use it and none of us has handled it well since then certainly not adam and eve it shows that that this going apart from god it's irrational It's irrational. Their creator and all the images that are used, they're not literal. Okay, this is all metaphorical. It's a story of relationship. God walking in the cool of the day in the garden. Doesn't mean he has feet. You know, what size shoes does God have? Big shoes to fill. No, it's an image of intimacy and fellowship. And so all of these things were the first things that were felt. The man, the woman, naked, no walls, no barriers, completely free between them, between God. First thing they felt was shame. This is who I am. I'm embarrassed. I'm, there's differences. I've got to cover them up. I, I'm scared. There's differences between me and God. I've got to, I mean, sewing clothes, that'll lead to stupid. We, we, but we do stupid things when we panic and we scramble. There's also fear and hiding. I did something wrong. I'm going to get it. I don't know what's going to happen. I've got to protect now. It's, it's all about this scrambling. And so there's hiding. There was supposed to be intimacy. There's shame. There's supposed to be fellowship. Now there's fear and hiding. And this is life as we know it. Um, our, our bodies, you know how nerves work, um, it's electrical impulse, it's actually chemical, but it creates an electrical, super, super small, um, current going through us. That's how it works. Our skin conducts electricity. That's what lie detectors are based on. And our nerves conduct electricity, small amounts. Um, I was mowing the lawn. I may have used this story once I was mowing the lawn and, uh, the, the lawnmower was broken. The throttle just wouldn't, wouldn't stop. And so I thought, Oh, you know how, how to stop an engine, kill the power. So I reached down to the spark plug and I went to pull it. Did anyone know where this story's going? Uh-huh. How, how many volts do you think it would be? It's not 12. Yeah, you put three more zeros. Yeah, you're getting close. Anyway, this amount of electricity, I was never designed to conduct. And so I did the most amazing dance ever. My hand grabbed on the land, lawnmower. I felt my muscles, you know, tensing up. And the charge went right to my heart. And my heart started beating at, you know, 90 hertz, you know, 90 cycles a second. Like it would have been anyway. And I'm dancing. I can't let go. And I'm just flailing around like, like this fish. It's the, this lawnmower, you know, I'm still mowing. Now it's not a straight line. Um, and, and I'm just trying to let go. I'm like, just let go of the... Finally let go. Burn marks. Panic. Terror. I was never designed to conduct that much electricity. Okay? Otherwise, I would have gotten a job with Muni. Because I'm a good conductor, right? Conductor. Thank you. Um, my magnetic personality. The, um, I was never designed. And that's what happened. Spiritually, emotionally, relationally, we were never ever designed to handle this knowledge of good and evil. It, it's beyond us. It was childlike trust, which was vulnerable to, to be developed into this absolute, pure, perfect, connective relationship. We couldn't handle it. We went the other way. And now there's a wall. It's completely different. See, it's good and evil all mixed together. We talk about the evil in the world. How could evil things, like, like the events of the last few weeks, how could these things happen? But we forget it's not just 50 shades, it's a million shades of gray. That's the world in which we live. And all of us try to take the place of God, deciding what is right and what is wrong for us. We, we do what's right in our own eyes. Life as we know it. And so with good and evil mixed together, this is the story in which we find ourselves. Jesus, when asked this question, hey, God, why are we still here? In, in essence, this is what the people were asking. Why are we still here? So holy God, we're hurting. Can't God just fix it? Wave the magic wand. Done. 
And so he gave him a parable. He said, there was this uh, landowner who had this huge, beautiful wheat field. And the next morning, one of his servants ran in and said, Master, an enemy has sown wheat in here. Shall we go and, and tear, tear the wheat up? And he, or tear the weeds up, excuse me. And, and Jesus said, no, you might tear the wheat up as well. Let both grow to fruition, and it'll be absolutely apparent which is wheat and which is a weed. If you're gardening, do you know how to tell if it's a really expensive plant or a weed? If you pull it up and it comes up easily, it's an expensive plant. But um, with, with, with these weeds, they didn't want to tear up, tear up the, uh, the good. And so we cry out for justice. God, come and make it right. But God's justice, God's purity, God's holiness, like I said before, it's like the sun. Anything that's not the sun, S-U-N, that, that touches it is, is eliminated, is exterminated. And that is our plight. That is the wall. That is, that is what happened with all of us. How bad was it? How bad were we staying? How affected are we? Here's a story that just spells it out pretty well. There was a journalist in Colorado Springs, and, and he'd sort of followed before. You guys know who Ted Haggard is? He uh, was a leader of one of the largest uh, churches in the area, mega church, 12,000, 15,000 people. He was the head of the National Association of Evangelicals. And if you followed the news, he, he was caught up in, in a number of scandals and, and really, really fell, fell pretty hard. And so this is what was going on. This is what everybody's talking about in Colorado Springs. And so this journalist who was sort of uh, started, you know, the, the investigating this and later went on to, to meet, meet Ted Haggard and all of that, uh, was in a cafe. And he's with a friend who, who wasn't a believer. And they're talking, and, you know, the TV comes on, and you know how you have in that cafe talk, and you keep looking up, and you try not to be rude. And so, anyway, they, they both looked at the TV, and it was another report about Ted Haggard. And um, in the room's a buzz, and the friend looks at this journalist in the eye, and he goes, that's why I can never become a Christian. And, and so, so, so this journalist was like, oh, you don't understand. We're, we're, all, we're all weak. We're all frail. Uh, we, we espouse to this is the ideal, but we're all in process and we're all broken. And, and there's forgiveness and there's grace. And, and his agnostic friend says, I, I don't have a problem with any of that. If, if there's a God that you talk about, I have no problem with forgiveness. I have no problem. I've forgiven the guy. He didn't sin against me. Uh, you know, he's using his language. Um, that's not an issue. But he said, look around the room and listen. And so he looked around the room. Everybody there was just slamming on Ted Haggard. Everyone was just, he's a hypocrite. How could he do this? Is he even a believer? He's messed up. I would never do this. Was he even, you know, everyone was downplaying and just throwing him under the bus. And, and friend, uh, the journalist looked back at his friend and his friend said, how many people do you think are believers in this room? This is Colorado Springs. This is evangelical Mecca. More than half, safe bet. This is why I can never become a believer. Because I, I don't see a difference. You talk about grace, forgiveness, changed lives, and all I see is unforgiveness and hate and tearing people down. Uh, Christian army is the only one that eats its own wounded. And, and so he says, that's, that's it. The stain has deeply affected all of us. And we are in process. We're an army of broken people. It is completely messed up. It's not just that we're ignorant. It's not that we don't have the right information. It's not like that we're just living for the wrong values. There is a fundamental divide. And even those who call upon the Lord and say, God, save me, it is still a process. Because fundamentally in our core, we are not as we should be. So I want to focus on this one story. Where do you think the gospel was first preached in the Bible? Anyone? Bible scholars out there? Trick question? Yeah, Genesis. Yeah, you saw that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you saw that. Thank you. It's paying attention. It's good. Genesis 3. Okay, it all went down. However it happened, however it played out. Let's get hung up on the, on the furniture here. However it played out, man went away from God in their fundamental, fundamental issues. So God's laying it down here. There was shame. There's covering. There's fear. There was hiding. There was this absolute scrambling. That happened just automatically. And now God's saying, I'm going to disorder the physical world because the spiritual world's disordered. Right? Um, how many people would go to the doctor if there wasn't pain? Or the dentist? How many people go to the dentist if you didn't have, uh, you know, roots here? A few people, but most of us, I mean, we, we rarely go when there is pain, right? I mean, you got to turn up the volume quite a bit to get our attention. This is what God did. What is most key and what is most core of who we are, it's the spiritual world. It's who we are truly as a person where this all comes together. Our psyche, our emotions, our, our character, our person, our being. And that was completely disordered and jacked up. 
But we quickly forget that, and we paint this nice Pollyannish picture of this is life and it's not so bad. So God disorders the physical world. The idiot lights on on the dashboard blinking to say, it's not good, it's not okay, it's messed up. You can't make your home here, you can't make an identity here because it's sinking sand. I love you too much for that. I want to draw you back to me. And so he tilts the playing field. That whatever we encounter in this life is going to be difficult enough that we should not and and cannot build a home there. It draws us back to God. So he he throws out these things and and he says there's going to be an issue for for the woman, for the man, for for life, for the world, for the physical world, disordering this world. Says says this to Satan, um, figuratively in the serpent. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. Notice the change in, in a singular, plural to singular. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Okay. God then goes on and lays out this thing um, for, for the woman, what's going on for the man and all that. We'll, we'll talk about that. Really quickly, though, curse on the snake. I don't think this is a Rudyard Kipling just-so story. So, you know, how did, the, how did the elephant get his nose or how did the giraffe, you know, get his long neck? Like, how did the snake lose its legs or something? God's wiring the world in which we live that everything's going to be a reminder and it said the Hebrew phrase to eat dust, it's sort of like what we would say perhaps maybe a few decades ago in racing. You're going to eat my dust. Defeat. It's literally what it means. So when, when, in the, when the Hebrew uses this phrase, eat the dust, it means complete defeat. And so it's saying the snake is going to, how it conducts itself, is going to be a symbol that he's already been defeated. He's already eating dust. And this is a super powerful image for, for, for the Hebrew uh, mindset. Um, there's this verse in Isaiah that talks about how awesome it's going to be. This world sucks, but what God is doing and bringing it together, it's going to be great. And it's using terms from this world that we can understand. The lion and the lamb, they're going to lie down together and play. Uh, the snake, is, food is still going to be dust. Wait a minute. This is the perfect world. What's going on? We have a lion and a lamb. The, the youngest person's going to die at a hundred. The old, you know, if somebody dies at a thousand, they'll say, gee, that sucks. It's not really talking about heaven. It's using what we understand of a good life and projecting it forward. But the snake doesn't get that. Even in this absolute, the way it's playing out, says the snake's still eating dust because it's a symbol of eternal defeat. Okay. Satan has been defeated. More on that. Okay, it talks about offspring here, and it's, it's really difficult to translate because it, it's, it's plural. Your descendants, your, 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 your offspring, all of these people, but then it goes into singular. And so what God is saying is there's going to be everyone that follows after you in rebellion against God are going to be opposed to me, naturally going to be opposed to me. Their heart is set against me. Blind to me, indifferent to me, and it's all about, you know, I'm, I'm the vortex, I'm the gravity of my own, my own world. All those that come after, you know, woman in humanity, that's going to be also the same people that I've fallen in love with. That is the prize. It, um, it mentioned this um, when, when we were looking at Isaiah and also when we were looking at Daniel. Old-scale war, World War II, was easy to follow. You look at a map, you look at the color. Are we winning or are we losing? Well, is it, is it more blue on the map or more red on the map or, or whatever? And people could follow it. Vietnam, Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, others, you, nobody knows are we winning or are we losing because it's not a land matter, it matter it's guerrilla warfare. And that's what the world in which we live in. You see, we often think of the enemy, these types of people, these types of sinners, the people that stand for this. They're the enemy, and, and we're, we bear the standard of God, and, and we're on the right side, and they're on the wrong side. They're the enemy, these type of people, we're on the right side. Uh-uh. All of us made ourselves enemies to God, all of us, equally. All of us deserve judgment upon us for going away from our creator equally and god loves all of us equally god's coming after all of us absolutely amazing the people are the prize and then it says strike and crush it's the same word what does a snake do how does a snake attack strikes on the heel right and it's poison everyone knows that it's it's the highest a snake can get wherever the grass is how do you kill a snake you got to crush its head if it's a poisonous snake. Anybody ever kill a poisonous snake? Yeah, cool stuff, right? Um, chances are you probably used a, a, a hoe or a machete or something or a shovel, chop the head off, pretty much, unless you got really fast hands and a death wish, or you're from Appalachia. Woo! Um, 
whatever. Anyway, the, the point is, you've got to kill its head because the head will live, with a rattlesnake, it will live for about eight hours. So you've got to bury it. Okay, you chop the head off. Man, talk about angry. Man, a snake with his head cut off and it's trying to get you. So you've got to bury it. That's how you kill a snake. And it's saying here, the way the snake and all its venom, all its anger, all its hatred is going to attack the ultimate descendant of the woman. The seed, the one, the Messiah, the one of God, the best it can do, lashing out in hate. Everything is leading up to that. It's just our hearts arrayed against him. But then this one of God is going to ultimately destroy the snake, not its offspring. Do you see this? It's a promise. It is a promise from the very beginning, the thing that has caused the pain, the confusion, the dissociation from God, the, the, the questioning, the wondering, the suffering, all of this judgment was pronounced right there at the beginning. It wasn't that we're going along and, oh, this isn't working. Why aren't more people praying? Gee, why aren't the churches full? I'm lonely. What am I going to do? Christmas. That, that, yeah, we'll have a holiday. Uh-uh, not at all. Night and day difference. And God said, this is the issue. I take it personally. This is what the pronouncement on evil. But I can't come and judge it because I'd have to take out everybody, the wheat and the tares. And so in this world in which we live, God has come even closer. Talked about imposed curses as well, okay? This physical world being disordered. To the woman said, I will increase your pain during childbirth and... um, I'll put enmity between you and the man. You will desire his position. He will rule over you. And people have gone a lot of different ways with this. It's a curse. In other words, what was supposed to be freedom and intimacy, where you can be completely vulnerable, completely safe, completely accepted, completely real, no pretense, no games, no second guessing, accepted and loved on a human level, on a divine level, that's what was to be enjoyed. What was then to be enjoyed of just raising children together, part of you, part of me, and and, and partly completely unique and wonderful. Image of God, image of us, it's just this is wonder. That was the environment for all this to be enjoyed. Now, that was disordered, both areas. The, 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 the world of family um, showed this, this, uh, this fallenness. Paul says in Romans 8, the entire creation, everything we encounter in life groans like with childbirth. It shouldn't be this way. But there's something more coming. And it said this desire for the man and, and this um, uh, ruling over the woman, that's a curse. Woman wants, generally speaking, to take the place of man, whatever that would be in relationship. Man, immature, pushes back, says, you know, and rules harshly. The word to rule over you, as I said before, it's military occupation. It's a curse. And so there's the sense of where we could ally ourselves independently from God. We're just going to have relationship, family. You complete me. It's enough. Apart from God, just us. God disordered that. Because we weren't made just for each other. We were made for God, but we weren't made just for God. It's not good for man to be alone. It's together. Both fell, both had to be redeemed. To the man, what was to be a place of care and plenty and joy and creativity now is a harsh reality. You will work hard. You will suffer for your survival. Again, where we could take identity, turn back to bring us to God. And then death, we were created mortal. Stretch forth, take the tree of of life, whatever that means. And God said, now that you have taken this burden which you can never handle, you're getting corrupted. It's getting more evil. And and I don't need to remind any of us of that. Everybody needs to do business with a creator now that death casts a shadow over us. So let's do a quick review. What's the body count of us going our own way? Well, we took upon the knowledge of good and evil, and since then, we always try to be God in our own lives. How many of us are qualified to be God just in our own life and nobody else's life? I know I'm not. I messed that up enough. How qualified am I to be God in your life? Yeah, not at all. How about the world? But that doesn't stop any of us. Walls have gone up between God and man. God's perfect holiness. We are imperfect, again, like the sun. And so there's a safety that, that, that is, is between us for our protection. Walls between man and woman. Where, we, where there could be this, this model of just intimacy and freedom now is mistrust and insecurity. And, 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 and difficulty and, 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 and all of this. Walls went up within ourselves. Remember the word holy means whole. This is the opposite. We're fragmented. We, we are many, many different people. We are our own legion, if you will. All broken apart. 
Areas of family and work have been disordered, and our lifeline has been cut off. This promise that God made, that down through you will be the one, the seed, that will achieve the ultimate victory, it was that early, it was that intimate, because it was that necessary. That's how we've been created. Walls went up between God and man, so God came down, fully God, fully man, Jesus Christ, to be the ultimate and perfect mediator. It wasn't just part of life, it wasn't, it wasn't an ambassadorial role, but it was every single possible way in which we are human, God is human. That every single part of us that needs to be redeemed can be redeemed, can be connected, is important to God, is worth saving. So often we live our lives, oh, I like this about me, but I hate this about me. I hate my body. I like my friends. I hate my friends. I like my mind. I like my mind. I hate Whatever it is. And God says, every single part of you is of supreme value to me. I want to redeem all of you. So I had to become absolutely, completely human. Perfect. Walls went up between men and women in their relationship. Woman desires the role, however that works out, of control, again, wanting to be God, over her husband. So how did, how did God come to us? As a baby. The most humble, the lowest that there is. He showed us we have it completely wrong. Where we would want to be God, what does God do to us? Flips it around completely, embraces humility, weakness, vulnerability, made himself completely dependent upon us. Divinity in diapers. Man rules harshly over woman. My rule, my way, my insecurities, I can protect by making you change and accommodate to me, and I will do it with force. That's the word that's used. So, how again, how did God come to us? In the weakest, most helpless place possible as a baby to show us we've got it all wrong. It's not more control. It's not doing it better. It's not you will fear me because you respect me. It's surrender. And that is a lot more terrifying because we have to deal with ourselves and we have to deal with a God we think is distant, non-existent, indifferent, or he's going to get us. And what God showed us in coming as Christ, as an infant, as a baby, there is no length that he wouldn't go to to rescue us, that we could accept him as this. We could know that he understands us. Where we worship power and force and control, he embraced weakness and vulnerability and trust. Childbirth, the area of family, is turned back. No independence. It's pain. There's something disordered. There's something not right here. There, there's, it's, there's fear. There's insecurity. Infant mortality is the, one of the greatest killers on this planet still. And it was through this very dangerous and painful childbirth that our Savior came. Played by his own rules. Didn't say, no, 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 I'm going to do it differently. Did everything just as we did. See, now God had a body that can hurt and bleed and suffer and wonder and get tired, smell, could be held, could hold others. Now God would know the physical feeling of loss and betrayal and loneliness and weakness. Did he know it, knowing everything is God? But now he felt it with a real heart and a real mind and real relationship. Everything just as we did. The world was cursed, and he came part of the very world that was broken, that was frail, that was limited. God that could be anywhere, all present, now could only be in one place and usually wrapped in a smelly diaper or a dirty tunic. God, who could know everything, chose not to use any of the powers of divinity now that he relates and gets to know people. What is the greatest image of fellowship in the final judgment? You did everything that I asked you to do. You had correct doctrine. You hated sinners better than anyone else. What is it? Anyone? Okay, what's the opposite of that? I never knew you. 
But God, didn't I do this in your name? Didn't I do these miracles? Didn't I do these great things? Wasn't I correct? Didn't I get all the right answers? And I was faithful and I went to church and I did all these things. I put in so many hours for you. I never knew you. It was about relationship and connection and trust and surrender. That's why I came so near. That's why I risked so big. That's why everything in creation was all about this and connection. I entered into the very thing in which you struggled to rescue you, every part of you. And you just want to work harder for me. You just want to fill in the right box. It's not about getting right. It's about being made right in Christ. And then finally, he was born as we were. That he could ultimately die for all of us. The final enemy, death. Separation from lifeline. When Jesus appeared, John writes that he had life in himself. Life, the light of all mankind. Absolute glory, absolute fullness. It was so attractive. It was so different. It was so real. It was so raw. That is what life is supposed to be like. And he showed us what life with God is like. Everything God does, I do. There's fellowship. There's peace. There's accord. There's congruency. This is what it is about. And it's not about just the standard and you work it out or or, or here's the, the hit list. It's do life as I do life. God is more committed to us than we could ever imagine. Maybe you're struggling right now with with a loss that you don't understand in your life. It could be a loss in in a change of your future. It could be a loss of somebody near, near or far. Sometimes the losses that are more distant can be more difficult because there's nothing we can do about them now. Could be loss of health, could be loss of employment, could be loss of future, loss of relationship. We experience loss because this world is broken and running down. We experience frailty, we experience weakness, we experience pulling away because none of us does life well. We keep trying to be God for ourselves and we mess it up over and over again. This Christmas, it's not just, isn't this an amazing miracle that God came down and and would do this for us? Certainly it is. But it is God's, from the very beginning of Scripture, from where it all went wrong, from where we went away from Him, it's Him saying, I am going to get involved personally. What God was doing in preparing a body for himself down through the ages, he's pulling in all of humanity. And this is the body he chose to inhabit. As as we've looked at the genealogy in different ways, there's so much blood flowing in the veins of the Messiah, if you will. Blood of warriors, slaves, prostitutes, traitors, Heroes, good people, bad people, all sorts of folks. All of this, Gentiles and Jews and whole humanity coming together as a person. I'm going to close with this. First Peter. Actually, his name's Peter. I didn't call him First Peter. But the first letter we have from him is the longest. Um, he said, guys... It's on. It's game time. This is the final curtain. It's, 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 this is the final revelation in Christ. Before, we, we had voices. We, we had epiphanies. We had the prophets. We had writing. We had all of these things, and we got it, and we went our own way with it. So now, the final revelation is this is God with skin on. This is what life is about. Follow me. Connect with me. And it said, the final revelation of God's ultimate plan made before eternity passed has now been revealed in Christ. Things that the angels long to look into. This is what Peter writes. And it's a sense of like there's this balcony of heaven and going, man, what's God doing down there? I don't know. Man, there's all this promise. And what do you think he's going to do? And the angels talking to each other. Okay, God, humanity. I'm thinking he's going to show up as this flaming purple weasel. I think he's going to show up as just uh, a whole, like a supernova, and everybody's going to fall down in terror. And angels are just, you know, oh, man, I still got my bracket going, okay? God's going to do it this way. He's going to do it that way. I don't think any angel, genius as they are, in the presence of God as they are, could ever imagine this. Because you think about being bathed in God's glory. Gabriel shows up to, to announce John the Baptist um, to, to his dad. And, and he's telling him, and his dad's going, man, I just can't believe this. And he's like, dude, can you smell Yahweh coming off of me? I stand in his presence. I'm like just soaking up divinity. I'm announcing the plan, but not even I know, know what it is, Okay. Believe, do this, connect with it. So the angels see this glory 
radiating and God and creation and all the universe and so much more than we could ever imagine and see. This is God's plan. He's going to take himself. All right, holiness, it's on. We're going to come with billions of angels in glory. And he's going to become one of them. One of those idiots. One of those bumblers that always have to watch over. And whoa, whoa, God's got like legions of guardian angels, you know. I feel guilty because he has them all stationed to me. Um, and some, there's other people that, ah. Uh, um, God's plan in all of creation was to become one of them. One of them. Wow, that is brutal. I can't even imagine that. But that's cool. They're idiots. They didn't get it. They're always going their own way. He shows up in person, and, and then they get it, and he comes back up in glory, and everything's cool. And we're just going to wait for people to come on in. That's the plan. God's got it. It's good. It's good. So he goes down. The angels are announcing the birth. Who hears about it first? The poorest of the poor, the shepherds who were raising sheep to perpetuate the sacrificial system because religion never brought people closer to God. Okay, it's a holding pattern. And then who heard about it as well? The riches of the rich, the, the, the magi, super powerful, and both ends come and say, this is our God, just like one of us, but not. And so he grows the whole life, the absolute, every wrong thing that we ever did was placed on him because he didn't do anything. So as our perfect representative, it was the justice we cry out for. Crucified, died and buried, our shame. Our guilt, our fear, our hiding, our brokenness, our walls, our dysfunction, our insecurity, our, our selfishness, our ego. Everywhere in which we are broken, all of that placed upon him and done away with. No condemnation. God's not going to get us. He's made a way for us to come before him. And so the angels are waiting. He's going to rise to heaven in glory and everything's back. He's still got a human body. God's still got a human body. What, what is up with that? The glory of the eternal God? Because it says, God, Jesus will return as he left. And that, that's just a way that we can understand it. We're all going to see it at the same time. And he will have this glorified body. Every single part of us important to God. Every single part of us inhabited by God. If you doubt whether God is for you, whether he's on your side, whether if he was there, if he knows, if he sees, if he cares... Look to the cross. But before you look to the cross and the ultimate sacrifice, look to the incarnation. Look to the manger. Because here we have the unlimited, eternally glorious God willingly choosing to limit himself that we could come into fellowship with him. And it was forever. Because he wanted fellowship with us forever. Right where we went wrong, right where we needed him the most, that is where God promised our victory. The next time Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Death has been swallowed up in victory because of Christ. It is a real Savior who reaches real people. A real Savior who knew loneliness to come near when we were lonely. A real Savior who knew weakness to give his strength when we most need it. A real Savior who is perfectly holy who in his mercy dispenses grace. A real savior who shows what love is fully embodied, other-centered, spilling over, gracious, compassionate, full of life in itself. And this was only possible because every aspect of our humanity was filled out by God to represent us fully, to bring us to him. It's not a disjointed holiday. It's not just a reminder in busyness. It's not just jumping into the middle of the story. But from the very beginning, God has been walking, trail of tears with us, bearing the cost in himself that we could have relationship, fellowship, freedom, peace, live the life that he made us to live, share with him in creation, in loving, and in redemption. Who's up for this? Thanks be to God. In my weakness, in my ignorance, in my sin, in my sitting down, in my blindness, he never gives up. He is patient, he is kind, he hopes all things, bears all things, believes all things. I often think that the purpose of my life is probably just to serve as a cautionary tale for others. 
But God, God thinks very, very differently for all of us because he is looking at eternity, passion and compassion. And that is spelled out right here and now. Let's pray. Lord God, as quickly as I want to run away from me and my problems, as quickly as I want to focus on the next thing that isn't happening or the busyness or what has to be done, I pray you would help all of us to sit with ourselves. Who we know we really are, where we really hurt, where we really bleed, where we don't have the answers, where we are afraid. And knowing that where we are most vulnerable and exposed, we feel the greatest, our separation from you. You met us right there, fully, completely. And I pray, God, in whatever ways that we are struggling, that we would see your engagement, your commitment, your passionate coming near to us, your dogged pursuit, despite our best efforts to hide and pretend, to run away, to be somebody else. So great is your love. So great is your knowledge. So amazing is your acceptance. And so majestic your purpose is that you never leave us there. You continue to draw us on. Give us the courage to trust you more this year. Give us the humility to receive you more as a child, to respond to you likewise. And give us the grace, God, to accept ourselves and one another as you have. And the holy ambition and calling to be more like you because of you. Life in itself, your greatest gift. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
right, this brings us to the end of our of our service, but the beginning of opportunities to live this out. If there is anything that you would want prayer for today or this week or, or, or through the holidays, I'd like to invite our prayer counselors down. They'll meet with you here, pray about anything that you would like. If you'd like to find out more about uh, who we are and how to get involved, there's people on those couches back there, the living room that would love to talk with you. If there is anything that you would like to discuss about faith or God or, or what is this or, or anything, any of us here would love to meet with you, talk with you uh, now or, or, or later for longer, whatever it is, and know in all of this that, that with the, the lights and the traditions and the festivities, with perhaps what might be for many a heightened sense of, of the changes this year, uh, of loss, of, of, of maybe vulnerability, there is a God who has come nearer, who loves us more passionately, who bears with us in all seasons of life and who meets us in every single part of reality, showing us again there is no length that he won't go to to present the fullness of his love to us in a way that we can get and receive. While today is still the day, why there's an opportunity to receive him, to receive salvation. Please talk with us. Please pray with us. Stay around. We'd love to get to know you more. Uh, Again, we have our two Christmas Eve services. They're identical to each other, but different. 6.30 tonight and 10 o'clock, both candlelight services. See you there. Take care and God bless. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. One more thing, one more thing. I apologize. On the table back there, we have cards to the families of all the victims of Newtown. If you would like to write anything, uh, encouragement, prayers, wishes, anything, please do so. A tangible outpouring of love in addition with our prayers. Thank you.